Now time for Chillin' with Quillin on ESPN Central Texas. Oh, yeah. Love Chillin' with Quillin. Like some of the theme music that comes on there. Uh, we recently learned that uh, Chillin' likes some Beastie Boys, Funky Monkey, uh, Brass Monkey, that Funky Monkey, uh, maybe um, uh, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, probably in his rotation. Um, Curtis, welcome, welcome to the program. It's good to good to have you back on on this uh, on this fine Thursday. Great to be back. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, always happy to have you. And I love the way Channel Six. I like the way you cover the high school scene, and I really enjoyed kind of watching everybody. Boy, La Vega certainly comes to mind. I had really kind of jumped on that band, the Harker Heights bandwagon. I wanted to see the other night, you know, how that thing was going to go against DeSoto. DeSoto's tough. Man, that's a tough, that's a tough group coming out of Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, I've been monitoring Lake Highlands. They have a player Baylor wants really badly in that 2024 class. Trey Johnson, they've got a chance to go to state. They'll be in regionals tomorrow night against North Crowley. Give me your breakdown, Curtis, kind of. What what we have left? Uh, last time I was uh, I was looking a few days ago, and I kind of like how the Waco Trib did it. It said, "Here's our final four of of Central Texas." What are we What are we looking at as we sort of get ready for San Antonio? Um, well, if you start with the girls' state tournament, you've got La Vega down there uh, ready for its semifinal tomorrow. Uh, I think we all saw the send off on Twitter today as La Vega had uh, got on the road to head to San Antonio today, you know, kind of take in the sights of the Alamo Dome for the mm-hmm. state basketball tournament ahead of time, get the wow factor out of the way, something you see a lot of football coaches around the state do with AT&T Stadium in Arlington, you know, go up the day before the game, get rid of the wow factor. Um, but for La Vega, I, I think it's safe to say that tomorrow's semifinal between La Vega and number one Glenn Rose is the de facto state championship game. I know, I know, I know. It's the semifinal. But I think the winner of that semifinal is going to be favored, um, is going to be the favorite in Saturday's uh, 4A girls state championship game. Um, and so, you know, biggest key at that point is who's, who gets the biggest run? on offense and who is able to limit runs on defense. I think that's the biggest key here for La Vega. This is a La Vega team that's dominant, man. Like that regional final against Madisonville um, was just like, and that's a really good Madisonville team uh, to be able to go out, get an emotional win against Harden Jefferson, who's had your number the past couple of years. Uh, and then the next day turn around, kind of be the dominant self that you're used to against Madisonville and get to the state tournament. Um, I mean, how many teams have we seen that have won a playoff game by 70, turned around three days later, and won by 103? This is a just a juggernaut of a team. And um, I think I think La Vega has a legit, legitimate shot there. If you turned it to the boys' side with the Fairfield girls through to Saturday uh, from earlier today, mm-hmm. you turn it to the boys' side. Ellison, down in the Houston area, is really fun. Uh, Jermyron Keller, the Oklahoma State commit there in South Colleen. Um, you know, you got – I think Ellison has as good a shot as anyone. That's a, a region to me that, um, 
you know, everybody, if you get to the Barry Center in Cyprus at this point, you belong. Uh, there's no bad teams that make it to the regional tournament there in 5A Region 3 uh, on the boys' side, and I think that's true this year uh, with Ellison kind of getting the benefit of realignment when opening chaparral, dropping down to 5A. And so really interested to see what Ellison can do tomorrow. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the pound-for-pound best regions in the state in boys' basketball is 3A Region 3. And that's where Lorena lives. And I know they have that really long bus ride tomorrow uh, up to where uh, Midway to play that uh, that regional tournament this weekend. And so for Lorena, you've got <laughs> to just be focused this weekend because I've seen that Lorena boys team. It's good. I've seen Ellison. It's good. There are no bad teams left in the state at this point. You've gotten to the regional tournament for a reason. You've won three playoff games because you belong on the, at the stage. You pretty much the more focused team wins at this point, and I think that's the biggest key for Lorena. All right, hey, now I have not. I was trying to find. Uh, you may be able to send it to me. Kai Ritchie's final shot there, uh, talking about the Lorena boys uh, in the uh, uh, to reach the regional tourney. What was that? Because it, it sounds like it kind of hung on the rim for a little bit and then uh, and then fell in. Have uh, did you have a peek at that one? Uh, that's what it looked like to me, and that's just the basketball god uh, making sure that it ended in the most climactic way possible to me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh man, thirty-one and five, Lorena is ranked number three in the final. Uh, Texas Association of Basketball Coaches poll. Hey, where do you stand on a shot clock in in um, high school basketball? I mean, I, to me, it's far past time to get one. And, in fact, I was at a game the other night where an undermanned team, I don't blame their coach because the strategy almost worked, but he had a bunch of guys kicked out for a, a, a fight, Arlington Martin, and they went into four corners. Nobody wants to see it. I'm not saying it wasn't the right strategy. Uh, halftime score was 20 to 17. They did get beat by uh, by Lake Highlands out of RISD, Richardson Independent School District. But man, Curtis, are we? Isn't it well past time to have a shot clock in uh, in in boys and girls basketball uh, in uh, in Texas? I'm conflicted on it. So oh no. I'm, my senior year at Floresville, second round of the playoffs, we're playing Roma down at Texas A&M Kingsville. Um, I don't know if you know the geography of South Texas. Let me say none of these places are close to each other. It was like a three-hour bus ride for us uh, to get down there. It's an hour past Corpus going towards South Padre. Roma's in a different part of the valley. Um, the game goes to overtime, and it's an emotional game. I want to say Roma had a player killed during the season. Um, I don't remember if it was a car accident. Um, or, you know, kind of something that happened along the sidewalk in town. But this is like they've had a player die during the season. The bench has an empty spot with his jersey draped over it. It is an emotional season for this Roma team. And we go to overtime. Roma is light years faster than us, Matt. Light years faster than us. And they win the tip to open overtime. They get it across half court, and we sag off defensively because we know that if we get up in their grill, we will lose this game because uh, that's what they want. They want you to be over. They want you to overpressure them because 
then you're going to get caught out of position. They're going to get to the rim. They're going to get an easy layup. There were zero points combined scored in the first overtime. In a four-minute high school overtime, they held on to the ball for the first three and a half minutes with one dribble. I'm not exaggerating. And so there are instances uh, where I think that, yes, we do need a shot clock. Here's my problem, though. You cannot do the shot clock for one team, for one classification, and not for the others. Because where do you draw the line? You have four A's that go play five A's. So if you say five A, six A has a shot clock uh, and four A and below doesn't, well, then what do you do when, as an example, a La Vega goes and plays a Colleen ISD team? What do you do when a La Vega hosts a Colleen ISD team? Or if you do it, four A, five A, six A are going to use a shot clock and three A and below or not. Well, Academy and La Vega have played uh, in the past. Um, Academy has played teams out of that land past the Salado district. And so what are you going to, where do you draw the line and what do you do in these inter-conference games? Because uh, I don't know that it's necessarily needed at the smaller school levels because it's a different game at that level. It's more of a possession-based game, uh, more of a, get the ball, cross half court, run the offense. If we don't like what we see there, we call another play, we run it again. They don't have the same type of athletes at the small school level that they have at the 4A, 5A, 6A level uh, where you've got Division One basketball prospects in almost every one of these districts. They can all run their offense still. They just don't – they can't get into that second offense. If they – if it – I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. They may play a different style of basketball, but I would be for changing it at all levels. Now, to your point, if for some reason it just made no sense to do it 3A and under, don't. And if a 3A team plays a 4A or whatever, whatever home gym it is, that's the rules you use. If you know, That's the way I would handle that. I wouldn't worry – I mean – Again, I'm glad you worry about things that I would never even occur to me, and that's I think that's good. I'm glad there's, that you do that. But I, I I just was watching this the other night in a high, high-level 6A and some guys just throwing the ball around and not making any play toward the rim for two minutes at a time, and that's serving nobody. The players aren't getting better. The, the fans, it's horrible. And, and to get to that deal and almost lose to a team that's playing a crazy style. But, again, I give the coach credit. He did what he had to do. All right, I knew you would, I knew you would like that. You're a, you're a uh, former official, so you, you, you study these things. Hey, but what about these uh, – talking to Curtis Quillen, chilling with Quillen on the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas, the Baylor women go into Austin and take down Vic Schaefer and those Longhorns. And, I mean, it was like senior night. It was it was cut down the Nets night. It was everything was about, all right, Texas is going to win a share of the conference title, and the Bears go in there and, and just put it to them. And this was no fluke. This was we, we're kind of almost start to finish. We're going to own this thing. Um, yeah. What do you? I mean, what do you make of that? And you, I think you were there to witness that. Yeah, I was down there uh, covering that for our station. Um, and look, man, you said it. Baylor was the better team that night. It controlled the game almost from tip to finish. Um, but 
I think the biggest indicator is this is a young team that is getting more experience. This is a, you know, they've been in these hostile environments before. And so I, I think it could have been Austin. It could have been Norman. It could have been uh, Ames. It could have been anywhere that night. If Baylor played, it could have been Morgantown, Stillwater, places that Baylor had struggles on the road. That team that night, if it plays that way, it beats everybody in the conference. And I think that that's, um, I think that's a pretty safe bet at that point. And so I think this is proof that these freshmen playing these big roles, like Dariana Littlepage-Bugs and Bella Fauntleroy, are starting to get their feet under them a little bit more. And that happens game by game whenever you have a team that's this young. Uh, they went through similar growing pains to what the men went through with, you know, Keontae George being a true freshman uh, and a five-star prospect at that, but being young, you know, LJ Cryer missed most of conference play last year. And so he's playing a role that he hasn't played in a couple of years because he didn't need to. And so this is, uh, he didn't need to, and he was hurt. And so I think you're just seeing this team get a little bit more experience. I don't know down the stretch what the postseason fate uh, of Nikki Collins ball club is going to be. But I truly think that you could have put that ball club in any Big 12 arena Monday night. And if it plays that way, it wins. I like it. And I like how Sarah took over the game when they needed her to. She's putting the ball behind her back. She's hitting step-back threes. And the great Bugs just took over the first half. Had 15 of her 19, I believe, in the first half. And, you know, sometimes I see her play like that and think she might be, she may be headed toward being – the best player in this conference someday. I mean, that's how that's how well she played, and she played tough. You know, they got big people, and uh, and you know, you were seeing she wasn't the one getting knocked down. She was knocking other people down. So I did right. en- enjoy seeing that. Baylor men finish up eleven a.m. on uh, Saturday, and you know, great chance for everybody to to get out there and and uh, and support the Bears. And and this is uh this is a big. This is a big moment. I don't know what Keontae George, they said he'll be. It's reported today by Rothstein. I think that he's going to be a game-time decision with that ankle. Now, Curtis, I mean, Dr. Mosley here, I would think uh, if you can rest him, go ahead and rest him again, get him ready for Kansas City. The flip side of that is this probably is the last time um, our, our local fans get to see him in person. Now, I'm not saying that should outweigh any medical decisions, but I do think you kind of have to think through this thing from a couple of different angles. Yeah, I I would be shocked if Scott didn't let him warm up and see how he felt and then decide is he a go or not at that point. Um, I'm with you. I, if I can, I rest him. Uh, there's no sense in losing him in for Kansas City, losing him for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament just to play him against Iowa State in a game that, let's be honest, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter. It doesn't. Baylor's out of contention for the Big 12 title. It's a two-seed now. The only thing that can happen for Baylor moving forward is it drops a seed line if it loses to both Iowa State and its quarterfinal opponent in the Big 12. It is not going to play on Wednesday night. It's through to Thursday in Kansas City. This game doesn't matter. And so if I can rest Keontae, I rest him. That said... It also wouldn't surprise me if Scott looks at him, he gets the go-ahead from the training staff, and decides, okay, let's 
let's let him get in there for a few minutes, you know, and then we'll pull him at the first media timeout. We'll pull him at the second media timeout. Let him get some of the soreness out and then call it a day. Don't risk it. All right. Uh, I I kind of like the plan. I'd kind of like him to get even more rest, though, and then be ready for the uh, the big the Big 12 uh, tournament. Um, now, what are your coverage plans, Curtis? Because y'all have got, you know, obviously we got tons of stuff happening uh, this weekend. Baylor's got a lot of stuff happening. Then Wednesday, I know I'm headed out to the Big 12 uh, tournament. And then, of course, the first round coverage. Right now, it looks like the Bears will end up maybe in Denver is where they're being projected. If they are a two seed, that would be against Eastern Washington, the 15 seed. How are you? Uh, how are you kind of handling this channel six wise? If you're allowed to tell us, one week at a time. <laughs> uh, this week we're getting we're getting some help from some friends in San Antonio at Ken's Five okay. uh, with the La Vega girls. Uh, the weather and some other issues have pre- uh, presented a plan, and so you know Matt will be holding down the fort tomorrow. I am uh, handling the ESPN Plus duties for Baylor's baseball game against Youngstown State tomorrow night. Uh, that's a 6:30 first pitch, ESPN Plus, and then um, uh, Nicole will be helping Matt out this weekend, and um, we will see what happens then. But yeah, we're just we're very one week at a time, and go from there. Okay. At the moment, um, as far as our plans for March, those are uh, those are still in the works. Fluid, we we call that fluid, and uh, yeah, you know, if there's any if is there any way I can help? I mean, I I just want. Mainly, I mean, I want, I love watching your coverage, but I just kind of want some people to hang out with in Kansas City is my main goal here. So, uh, you know, don't, you don't want to leave me alone just walking the streets of Kansas City eating burn ins on my own. I need, I need some companionship there. All right, Curtis, uh, uh, great job as always, and uh, look forward to all your coverage of, uh, High school basketball and uh, and all this college basketball coming up, and we'll watch you on uh, on TV. That's fun. ESPN Plus. Curtis Quillen getting some reps on his play by play. I always enjoy that. All right, Curtis, appreciate it. A, a solo Mosley in the Power and Light District sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk later. <laughs> That's Solo Mosley. May be my new nickname Aaron my fraternity brothers at Baylor because of my uh, well I just never I know this will shock you I never moved around too quickly on really to any in any form or fashion whether it be athletically or just you know getting from one place to the other so my nickname was slow-mo and I the other day we were driving around town somewhere and, and on the side of a building was a huge graffiti and it said slow mo, and and thought to myself, man, I wonder if I could get up there. It was like I was going to have to climb like a fire escape type deal to get up there and have my picture taken by it. But uh, yeah, I like that slow 